Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Let's do this. It's so good to be here. <laughs> it really is. It, it feels like home to me. I'll elaborate a little on the moment that God called me to come and back into ministry, not out of professional musicianship, because I, I really feel with, with brothers like Sam and, and the other community, it's a family and God still wants me there. He really does. But I was in the bush. Um, I don't know if many of you know, but for a season, God called me to just stop paying rent. <laughs> we all loved that he called to that in Sydney. <laughs> That's always a win. Thanks, God, I won't pay rent. But a little more complex than that. I was traveling a lot. Wasn't at home a lot anyway. I was going to Colombia, United States, Mexico, um, usually in winter. But yeah, basically I started camping on Crown Land. So there was no rangers annoying me. I just did a lot of camping. There was a guy near me who camped as well. More like lived. He'd probably been there about 10 years. Yuri, not a friendly man. <laughs> but he tolerated my presence in the bush. And you know, I'd begun to come here at that stage and I'd go back to my cave as, as it's affectionately known. It's a beautiful sandstone outcrop. And I'd camp there and I'd pray. And then something cataclysmic happened to the music industry. An absolutely earth-shattering thing happened. That being, all our gigs were cancelled. Now, for a professional musician, you tend to live from gig to gig anyway, hand to mouth. So when that happens and my world was blown apart, I sat there and went, oops, what happens now, God? And I was literally sitting on a rock when that happened, looking out into my valley. I call it my valley. Um, I have no ownership rights. It's crown land stolen from the Aboriginals by the Queen. But I occupy it currently <laughs> in a temporary, very temporary sense. And I was sitting there going, Lord, what happens now? And I had a fear rise up in me. And that fear does something to you. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. That fear can cloud your judgment. It can cloud your focus. And I was so blessed to be in nature at that point. Because let me tell you, the birds don't care. I have a possum that visits me nightly. He's a real jerk. I mean, Bill will tell you, we went there, I've got a, a, a tightly screwed metal lid on a jar of almond paste. It was undone. Clawed, only a little bit, because he didn't like the taste of almond paste, but defiled my almond paste. This possum, he sits there and looked at me. One day he was staring at me, a little stoned, because I'd left out rat bait. Sorry for all the animal lovers, I have a lot of bush rats, because we're close to the city, but... Possum got a bite of that, I'm sure, and he just stood there, his generals exposed, like your cat does sometimes, staring at me. And this was in the middle of this season. I looked at him and went, you really don't have a lot of worries on your mind, do you, Percy? You just don't. And God gave me a perspective. And I was like, how irrelevant. Everything was provided for. I had a thousand litre water tank. That's another story. Don't tell anyone that I rolled that into the bush. I had internet, which is essential for life. <laughs> I was still working every day as an agent. I, mean, I had a lot of work up until this point when everything started to get cancelled. And God just said, honestly, are you going to sit there in my presence, in the presence of the birds and the animals, and you're going to worry? Really? You're going to do that in the presence of Almighty God? And he led me into worship. Before I got the phone call from my mate Adrian, who said, hey, dude, we've just been thinking maybe this job might fit you. And I went, a job? The word job lit up in neon signs at that point in my life because 
we didn't have many jobs going on, but it was all God's time. It was amazing because I just sat there and I went, Lord, all I can do at this point is worship you and thank you and thank you and thank you and praise you that you will always provide for me. I don't care what city you're living in. Barry gave a great message the other week. He said that house you're living in, the mortgage you're paying, the rent you're paying, it's not your real home. I don't want to disappoint the Sydney homeowners who've worked their life out. It's a great thing. It's a blessing. You can use it to bless people, but it's not your real home. And God enforced this on me. He really did. He just said, Graham, I'm your home, mate. I'll look after you. By the way, I wasn't too poor to pay rent. It was a decision I'd made for health mainly. And I began to worship. And what worship does, it puts God back on the throne. It puts him back in charge. He's already on the throne, but I'm talking about our mindset. So if we can put up that slide, thanks, Dickie Knee. We've got a guy here, our slide guy. He's called Dickie Knee because he makes completely unnecessary remarks through our rehearsals <laughs> on the mic that we gave him. But Dickie, if you put that up there, when we worship... <laughs> who authorised? He's not supposed to have it on in this sermon. Anyway, when we worship, in all seriousness, when we worship, we put God back in charge. That's what happens. And it's a beautiful thing. Just like Kieran was saying this morning, we get in the presence of God. You can do it in an imaginary room. Kieran's an imaginary person. She's got her fluffy orange jacket and she goes to imaginary places with fairies. Do whatever you've got to do, but put God back in charge. It's so important that we get perspective. That's the essence of worship. See, when the disciples asked Jesus about the Lord's Prayer, they didn't ask, Lord, Lord, how do we worship? How do we get perspective? They asked how we pray. And likely it could have come from a religious perspective. They said, well, you do a lot of praying, Lord. We've learned this from the Pharisees. We've learned this from the Scriptures. We've learned this, that and the other. We've got various prayers that we pray, you know, at the Wailing Wall or whatnot. And so they came with that perspective. What things are we supposed to say to God to get it right? And he came with the answer, worship. That's what hallowed means. It means worship. It means good. put God back in charge. Long before he refers to our daily bread and, Lord, are you going to pay the bills and are you going to give us enough to eat? Long before he refers to, oh, I've got a temptation in my heart, lead me not into that. Long before all of that, he doesn't get to that stuff without acknowledging two things. He acknowledges, first of all, that God is great. Hallowed be your name, our Father in heaven, maker of all things. Perspective comes in. Then you're ready to pray. And the other thing he says, he uses a phrase, He's got a bee in his bonnet about this one. If you read the Gospels, Jesus has a catchphrase. You might even say it's his branding. I don't know. You'd say um, he's a broken record about one particular phrase. And anyone who studied the New Testament enough knows this is his pet phrase. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. I want to explain that just a little because the kingdom of heaven is not just up there. Jesus brought us to a place where we could look at the kingdom of heaven while we're on earth. He was a masterful teacher, the greatest teacher that ever walked to the earth. And he drew people from all over, all over the world, all, all, all over that known area. They, they came from miles, tens of miles, sometimes hundreds of miles, to hear him preach. They'd push him out in a boat and he'd sit out in the boat so everyone could see him. And he'd say, the kingdom of heaven is like... And that phrase just echoed right up to the point where he was about to be executed. He had a chance to talk himself out of a cruel death. Pilate said, so what's the deal? You've you, you got a lot of followers. Are you a king or not? 
and with a tortured body and glazed eyes, he goes, it is as you say. But he also said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kingdom. And he kept saying to people, get your eyes off what's around you. You know, there were people called the zealots in those days. And the zealots, they were political and they hated the Roman Empire. They were a little nutty because they wanted to take on the Roman Empire, the most powerful army possibly in history. And they said, Jesus, you've got a lot of followers. When are we going to take back Jerusalem? Come on, lead all your followers into that place. Let's get military, man. Let's get to it. Politics, 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 politics. It was worse than his barbecue chicken coming on at 11 a.m. every morning. I mean, it, these guys were in his face. Politics was very around. It still is today. If you're in the United States in the past four years, I, I pity you. I'm not going to take any sides, but the division. I've got a friend in the United States who said, man, Bible study groups, churches have broken up. Why? Because of politics. Jesus' response to politics was simple. He'd walk right through it and say, moving right along, he wants the kingdom of heaven first above all of that. Does that mean Jesus wasn't down to earth? Oh, no. Don't even go there. He was the most down-to-earth human being to ever walk the planet. He connected with lepers. He touched them, though they were contagious. He spent time with people's people, with prostitutes, with sinners, with those who were hated by society. He was down-to-earth. His feet were firmly planted on the ground. You can't accuse any serious believer or follower of Jesus or Jesus himself of not being down-to-earth. But he said this. He said, look, all that other stuff you want, God will provide it, but seek first the kingdom. Dickie, slide. Matthew 6.33, but more than anything else, put God's work, the kingdom, essentially meaning the things of God, first and do what he wants and the other things will be yours as well. And when we do that, things happen. He'd say, worship first. Look at the kingdom of God first. Everything else will come into order. Next slide, Dickie, I'm keeping you busy today. When we worship, Jesus knew this. And he did it every day before he started the day. When we worship, we move heaven and earth. Things happen. Things really happen. And so I want to briefly talk about the fact that worship is not a segment on a Sunday. It never was. It never will be. It's a constant state that the believer's in. Jesus taught us that. He put it into the most famous prayer of all time. Worship is the tool that God uses in your daily life. It moves things. It makes things happen. I'm going to set a scene. A horrific, scary, fearful time, more fearful than COVID, about 860 BC for the kingdom of Judah. They were smaller because they'd been divided in half. They'd lost all the other tribes. It was just Judah and Benjamin. And they had this tiny nation. They were trying to hold on to Jerusalem. And everyone conspired against them. Sometimes that happens in life, right? It's, it's when it rains, it pours. Sometimes it's not just one person coming against you at work or in your family. Like, everyone's picking on me, man. Everyone was picking on them. And what is the response? Now, they prayed and said, God, we're in a pickle. Outgunned, outmanned. Ammonites, Moabites, Shuites, whatever you want to say. Add all the ites together and you had a big trouble ite. It was just a massive threat on their doorstep. And in those days, wars were gruesome as they are today. They would rip people open and leave them bleeding. They would, they would put heads on spikes outside of cities. A very fearful moment. And history accounts for this around the Bible as well. It was a, it was a tribal warfare time. He prays and the response comes through a guy called Jehaziel. Jehoshaphat was the king 
I've delayed saying his name because you'll all be distracted by that name. Jehoshaphat, 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 get over it. <laughs> That's his name. He prays his face, Lord, what do we do? And Jehaziel pops up and said, I've heard from God, a prophet we never hear from again. And he says, this is what we're going to do. Can we put up this passage, please, Peter? As they went out against this army, this is all they did. 2 Chronicles 20, 22. They marched out and as soon as they began singing, the Lord confused the enemy camp so that the Ammonite and Moabite troops attacked and completely destroyed those from Edom. Then they turned against each other and fought until the entire camp was wiped out. They didn't lift a finger. What did they do? They worshipped and stuff happened. It wasn't a religious ritual that they did on Sabbath or any other day. They, re- they rose above into the kingdom of heaven, a- away from all the kingdoms that were distracting them around them. And this is the other point. When we worship, we transcend the problems around us because we are lifting our eyes. We use a phrase lately a lot, transcendent worship. What is it? Transcendent worship is simply the right kind of worship. That's just what happens, not just on a Sunday. God told me this week, well, we've talked about worshipping on a Sunday. It's beautiful. You've got Sam McNally. What's there to transcend? I'm going to read another passage in a minute because, yeah, it's great to get our mind off the week, but then Monday comes around. and What's there to transcend when you're surrounded by loving people? What's there to transcend when we've got a brilliant pianist and a lovely singer? I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. It's wonderful. But true transcendent worship transcends that which is difficult to transcend. Do you follow me? Just say yes, I know what you're talking about in the chat, please. So yes, Graham, I get it. When you lose your job, when you break up, when your heart's broken, that's what you need to transcend. My last passage today, and please get this in your spirit. I so wish I had three or four sermons to talk about worship. I'm a worship pastor, tragic. (laughs) But I tell you what, this is so important. Lockdown in the eyes of God, in the purpose of God, is meaningless. What an exaggeration that might sound like, especially to someone who's lost a lot of work out of it and all my friends. God has a bigger plan, a better plan for your life. Whatever situation you're in, you don't have to be in church. Paul and Silas were bold preachers, a little too bold. They got themselves in a pickle in Philippi, a Greek city that was very loyal to the Romans. They preached the gospel. Long story short, they got locked up not before being beaten by rods. They were stripped, they were beaten with rods, they were locked in this cell, all because they were preaching the name of Jesus and they were seen as troublemakers. Let's see what they did, what situation, what lockdown they had to come, come to face with. Acts chapter 16, verse 20. Dickie, if we can put that up again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Midnight. Notice they couldn't sleep. Why? Because those stocks stretch your limbs to breaking point. No possibility of sleep. Total nightmare. They were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. So violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When we worship, things happen. Let's get down to nitty-gritty. Ask yourself, are you in as bad a situation as those guys? As a nation surrounded by people who are basically going to wipe you out and kill your women and children, as two men who are in stocks, probably awaiting execution, are you in as bad a situation as that? Because I don't want to 
gloss over the fact that you're in a bad situation, some of us watching today. If we get that kingdom focus, like Paul and Silas, like Jehoshaphat, like Jesus said, and we look beyond what's going on to our mighty God, you will not only pull through. It's not about surviving. Oh, no. It's not about, oh, Lord, I've got to get through this tough time. I'll praise you. Make me forget about my troubles. That's part of it. It's about conquering and watching things happen. I challenge you this week. Part of me was going to list a whole bunch of things that you can do, but you know what you're going to do. Is it listening to worship on your headphones? Is it finding five minutes break from the kids and just staring at a plant in your garden? Do you have the privilege to go for a walk in nature? Wow, what a privilege. Geraldine, oh my goodness, she just loves it. I love that story. But aside from all that, I want to challenge you this week as we close. I'll get our musos to come up now. And I want to challenge you that when you go before that laptop or start the day with your kids and homeschooling or whatever your challenge is, you've got a million emails before you. You've got hassles from your boss, maybe co-workers. Put your problem out there. You don't have to write it in the online chat if it's personal. If it is, you can put it in there and say work relationship, depression, anxiety. Put it all there. And I want you to do this. Before you open that laptop and plough into work, I just want you this week to spend five minutes at least. You can do it. You can find that time. God will multiply the time elsewhere. Sitting there and putting God on the throne and going, Lord, your kingdom matters. Looking beyond what's in front of you. And I'd go so far as to say that worshipful moment will change your work day. He wants to help you through working as well. He wants to help you at your job, not just at your church. Let's pray together. Let's pray and we'll just get into the presence of God right now, wherever you are. We're going to pray and we're going to come face to face with the armies that come against us. Let's be real. Life's tough sometimes. So, Lord... We come before you. We say, hallowed be your name, not just in church, not just online. I know you're zoned in and you're having a great time, but tomorrow that's not going to happen. You're going to be alone with all your problems unless you can see beyond. So, Lord, take us to that place. That's our prayer. Take us to that place beyond through the trials of life, through the armies, Lord, through the stocks it may not be physical stocks, but we may feel bound by sin and guilt. Lord, help us look beyond that. Help us to transcend our circumstance, Lord. Help us to come back to what worship actually is, not a religious activity, but a lifestyle that will give us breakthrough after breakthrough. Lord, help us walk in those breakthroughs. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to help us by your Holy Spirit this week to be disciplined in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you part of the family and had it on your heart to get more involved at Northside, but you're not sure where to start? Well, we'd love to help. Send us an email at iwanttoserve at northsidechurch.org.au today.